Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment, another Black History moment with Bo. And I hope today everything is just going wonderful for you and that you finally have a feeling of self-control. And if you should happen to be a new listener, I say to you, please stay around. I think you will like what you hear, especially if you should happen to like the truth. Because truth comes, but we can't hear it. How can we hear it when we've been programmed to fear it? But we don't fear nothing on this show. And I'm not going to censor myself just to satisfy someone's ignorance. Because no other race is told to forget their history. And no other race has suffered more than we have. But the fact of the matter is, until the lion learns how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. Do you feel me? So today, my friends, we're going to slip into darkness. And I'm going to try to tell you a little something that you probably never heard of. But that does not make it untrue. You know, slavery is deeply rooted in my family tree because my parents and my grandparents were from the South. And as long as I can remember, I've always heard the story about the Underground Railroad crossing the Ohio River and people making its way into Canada, thinking like the Canadian soil was the land of milk and honey. But as I later found out, this was not the truth. The truth is that you could run yourself into Canada and find yourself back into slavery. McGill University's institutional history dramatically changes when it accounts for the fact that its founder, James McGill, was an enslaver and a traitor of enslaved black and indigenous people. And when he died in 1813, McGill's will revealed a bequest that led to the creation of McGill College in 1821. Following Dalhousie University, McGill University is now exploring its historical connection to black slavery. Unlike any other institutional of higher learning in Canada and beyond, McGill is taking unprecedented and pragmatic steps toward racial justice with his 2020 action plan to address anti-black racism. Upon doing this, McGill University has opened up a can of worms and has shed light on histories of slavery and racism in Canada. While increasing numbers of scholars acknowledge the prevalence of slavery in New France's present-day Quebec, colonial society, the overall complacent tone of the dealing with black slavery in Montreal is quite troubling. Some historians have argued that Canadian slavery was more benign than elsewhere, 
Others have focused on the fact that when compared to plantation-based slave society, enslaved people in Montreal represented a smaller percentage of the overall free white population. These descriptions do a damn disservice to Canadian history by failing to make clear the brutality of slavery as an institution wherever it was present and by not acknowledging how the history of enslavement shaped structural anti-black racial violence and black survival in Canada. Because once again, for bonding people in New France, sold and purchased as commodity, there was no pseudo-freedom to be baptized as a Catholic or assumed to be treated well because a wealthy enslaver owned the enslaved does not change the fact that enslaved black people had their labor exploited. They could not engage in society in terms of racial or social equality, and enslaved black people desperately fought for their freedom. Let's get one thing straight, my people. An essential function of slavery meant that black people had no legal right to decide their fate or the fate of their kin. As a matter of damn fact, white enslavers gave their own kin enslaved people as a valuable inheritance. Even though black people were unique individuals, their lives were controlled by their enslavers. As far as the enslaved were concerned, the quality of their precarious life was determined by enslavers' choice to regard or disregard their humanity as they saw fit. And even though some argued that enslaved people were considered luxury items, this does not mean that these bonded people were treated luxuriously by their enslavers. For example, now... Let's talk about Marie Louise. And she was an enslaved black person in the home of James McGill, the founder of McGill University, since she was about five years old. And without any evidence, one graduate thesis written in the early 1990s surmised that Charlotte Gilliman, McGill's wife, properly brought this young black child as a playmate of the children of the house, and Marie-Louise probably had to do some menial housework. However, a scant mention of Marie-Louise in a single historical record indicates that she was not brought to be a playmate for Gilliman's two young boys. She was treated like enslaved property. Now check this out. Before marrying James McGill in 1776, Gilliman made an inventory list of 32 items she claimed as her premarital property. She listed the enslaved girl as a negress valued between 21 and 22 pounds. And she recorded Marie Louise right before itemizing a cow, which Gilliman valued at under two pounds. Five-year-old Marie-Louise, a little black child, was the most expensive movable property on Charlotte Gilliman's list. And since Marie-Louise was considered property, Gilliman felt no obligation to treat her with familial or human regard. 
And here's the sad part, my friends, although there are millions sad parts. Even though Gilliman had enslaved Marie Lewis since childhood, she and her husband left Marie Louise at the Hotel Du Hospital to spend the last three months of her life sick and alone. Marie Louise passed away at 23 years old. Gilliman felt compelled by some moral code to sponsor Marie Louise's baptism as a five-year-old child. Yet this moral code did not inspire her to take care of a person she saw daily and who lived with the McGills from age five to 23. She grew up in the McGill household from a child, teenager to a young adult. The entire time, Marie Louise was treated like a slave by members of the McGill household. In this Canadian slave system, like many others across the Atlantic, there was no assumption or expectation of care for enslaved black people. Marie Louise was considered expendable property, and when she became ill and no longer able to perform domestic labor, her enslaver, James McGill, purchased another enslaved black woman, Sarah, to replace her. The average lifespan of an enslaved black person in Canada was 25 years. Marie Louise's ill health and eventual death in her early 20s show us that wealthy enslavers like James McGill did not treat or feed well the people they enslaved. And that's because they were not required to see or treat enslaved people as human beings. They staked their privilege of white identity on this fact. Examining the construction of whiteness and its normalization in Montreal, we can help illuminate ostensible white benevolence contradictions. During the 1850s, some white Canadians fought for the abolition of slavery but did not endorse racial equality. According to the dominant historical narrative, Canada was the promised land, a place devoid of anti-black racial violence. One historian claims that even though Sarah was enslaved, he still had no doubt that she was treated well in the McGill household. One of the crucial elements of accurate historical analysis is to avoid cloaking racial violence and kindliness. It's imperative to be aware of the power relationships in places of enslavement. Enslaved people could be forced to contend with decades-long sexual exploitation. Another enslaved person in McGill's home, a black man named Jacob, was about 20 years younger than McGill's wife, Charlotte Gilliman. What compelled Gilliman to make special provisions for Jaco and her will before she died in 1818? To assume kindness in a system of exploitative power dismisses the harm enslaved black people could and did experience. 
This is why the stories of Marie, Louise, and Jaco are so important to highlight. They reveal the intricacies of slavery in Canada and the links to McGill University, topics that are too often overlooked in mainstream historical narratives. Black people have lived in truths of harmful experiences that have resonated unchecked in our hearts, mind, bodies, and spirits for generation. While our souls have never been for sale, our multi-layered trauma keeps being overshadowed and minimized by white benevolence or lack thereof. Investments in white supremacy abound unchecked. My hope is that we can do justice to the memories of enslaved people like Marie Louise. She died alone as an unprotected and abandoned 23-year-old enslaved young black woman. And her story matters, and her life mattered. We can understand the particularities of a Canadian society that devalued her humanity, but highly valued her labor and body as rightful property. Marie Louise was always owed our time, consideration, protection, and care. Well, my friends, we've always known that McGill University was a fine institute of learning. But what we didn't know was that in its infant stages, it was nasty, it was cruel, and it was just as bad as slavery in the American South. And always remember, someone's effort is a reflection of their interest in you. Rest in peace, Marie Louise, and know that your story has been told. And although we have no family name for you, the name Marie Louise will forever have its place. My friends, that music tells me that it's hey, once more that time. But before I go, I've got to leave you with one more of my infamous messages. A time will come in your life when some people will regret why they treated you wrong. Trust me, it will definitely come. Have a great day, my friends. Peace to my ancestors and my elders. I walk in your strength, legacy, and power today and every day. Until next time, it has been my honor.